Hey folks, my name's Andy Sido. Welcome back to another episode and another season of Middle Class Rockstar. It's so great to be back. I am a musician, songwriter, producer, um, and whatever else I need to do to make money in music, living in Denver, Colorado. My guest today is Canadian singer and songwriter Taylor Abrahams. All right. It's good to be back. This is, I, I'm not actually not sure if this is the beginning of season four or season five, because I, I usually take a break a year or so, um, an extended break, a few months. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure which season this is. I don't title them by the seasons. I just keep going on the episodes. But anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Um, this is episode number 101. And, I, I, this is the longest hiatus I've ever taken. Uh, I put out the 100th episode, um, Chain of Lakes, Kyle Rashi, uh, back in May, and now it's November. So it's been six months. I've never taken six months off before. But um, I got my 100th episode done, and that was always my goal from the start. As I've said, I, I think in every episode, one, once I got to 10, I said, okay, I'm going to do 100. And after hitting 100... I wanted to take a little break because it, it, it's a big time commitment and it's a lot of work. I love doing it, which is why I'm still doing it. But um, I had to hit that hundred mark and then uh, take a little celebration break. But I'm back at it, and I don't know what the next goal is. Now I'm now I've got my sights set on 250, but that's a lot of episodes. So the next big one we're going to celebrate is like 125. I'm going to do celebrations more often now, um, being over the 100 mark. But anyway. I'm back. Uh, in June, I got married um, to my beautiful wife, Allie. We went on our honeymoon. We went to Hawaii. Um, there is a guitar company in Hawaii called Sido Guitars. They, they say Sido, but they, I think they pronounce it wrong because I pronounce it Sido. It's spelt the same way, and they make uh, guitars. Uh, uh, Steve Sido makes guitars out of 100% uh, koa wood and also out of 100% carbon fiber. Um, I got a carbon fiber guitar. They invited us, uh, the, the Sidos invited Allie and I to stay with them while we were on our honeymoon. And, um, we did, we kind of made a third part to our trip. We did a few days in Kauai and then a few days, uh, in Waikiki, um, on Oahu. And then we extended our trip by a few more days to go stay with the Sidos. I got to play a ton of really nice guitars, and I brought one home with me. It's a it's a gold, the sparkly gold, thin body, carbon fiber acoustic, and I play it all the time. It's my primary uh, workhorse, so that was kind of fun. Um, actually, it was a whole lot of fun. And then getting back, I, I did a whole. I've done a whole lot of gigs this year. This is my heaviest gigging year ever by far, um, and I did a, quite a few tour dates. Did some festivals. Went around the Midwest. Um, down to Texas, up to Montana, um, northern Wyoming. So it's been, it's been a, uh, it's been a busy year. Um, and that's my very quick three and a half minute catch up on me. Jumping back in to the podcast, I'm chatting with Taylor Abrahams today. We first met virtually because we were both finalists in the Kerrville New Folk Songwriter Competition last year, and Taylor was actually one of the winners. So we got in touch through that, and now he's one of those people that I just see around, right? We go to the same conferences and the same festivals, and uh, we're kind of running around in the same circuit. So he's part of that big, happy family of musicians that I see several times a year. Um, 
And he's a very talented dude. Um, you'll hear, you'll, you can hear some of his music. Um, I think he's got a, a, a new album coming out that he's promoting. Um, and he, he's, he's very creative. He's very funny. He does a lot of different voices well, has a lot of insightful lyrics. And, uh, and he's a good conversationalist too. We talked about Randy Newman and Paul McCartney and what he's doing in his life and career. And we also had a lengthy conversation um, about a studio that he sort of built a community around um, that got shut down, unfortunately. I'm not going to go into it right now because you're going to hear all about it uh, in our 45-minute conversation here in just a second. But um, it, it's it's kind of a sad story, but also, um, you know, it's interesting and I don't think it's over yet. We'll see. We'll see where it goes from here. Um, Taylor certainly has a bright future ahead of him, but we did this. I wanted to mention also, we did this conversation in person. Taylor stayed uh, with Allie and I in August for a few nights. He was not on tour. He flew, uh, all the way to Denver from Canada, I think Toronto to see, uh, Trey Parker met to see South Park essentially at Red Rocks. There was bands and, um, I've heard it was absolutely a riot, and I think it's been aired on Comedy Central or something since then. So, anyway, he came out to see South Park at Red Rocks, and uh, we did this uh, episode while he was staying at the house. So, it was nice to uh, have full control of the mics and the audio and all that. But, without further ado, let's thank our sponsors and jump into the episode. Thanks so much for being with us the entire time. PQ Mastering, Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for all of your audio or restoration needs, visit www.pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music, uh, who's been with me doing this for a long time. Narrator Music offers simple and affordable licensing for sync. For more information, visit narratorrf.com. I'm also looking for some new sponsors this season. Um, if you're interested or you know a company that would be a great fit, I'd love to hear from you. Here's my conversation with Taylor Abrahams. Cool. Yeah, we're running. We're running. Taylor, what's up, man? Everything. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm busy. I'm, there's a lot going on, but it's I, good to be busy, especially as a musician right now. Having to make food for me. No, I've watched married. you make food for yourself in okay. my kitchen. <laughs> no, you were very helpful. <laughs> You're very helpful. And, you know, I was like, no, I have to have Earl Grey. And you look everywhere for it. I feel, I f- I feel more basic than I felt before this morning. I feel like I'm a very basic. Well, I like to make people feel worse about themselves. That's yeah. my... That's my modus operandi in life. I, I just want to tell everyone I want to come out and say that I microwave my water for my tea <laughs> and uh, I eat the same sandwich for lunch every day. Well, th- I, I, <laughs> I like the idea of routine. You know, I think that beautiful things emerge from routine as agonizing as it can be sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Routine is, I, you know, I think it's strictly... Well, and it's not strictly convenience. It, it is. That's how it started. But I, I do love, um, I do love my lunch. You know, I, I really do love it. Like, why change it if, uh, if, if it works so well? You yeah, know? I, it's kind of beautiful. It's like you're married to that lunch. Just 
just like you're married. I'm married. Yep. To, to, to a, to a human female. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what they call them, right? Yeah, that's what they call them. And I haven't done a, a, a married podcast episode yet. Oh yeah. I haven't had a ring on my finger for this thing. So, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know what that, I don't think it changes anything. We've been living together for years, but, but now we're married for about two months and, uh, and now I interview people as a married man. Well, congrats for that. And, uh, if you ever have a, a second wedding, I get to be the, the musician and you have to pay me a lot of, a lot of, a lot of money. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I, I, we'll see, we'll see, but, but let's hope, let's hope we don't, um, let's hope there's no second wedding. And I mean, would it be, Oh cheesy? no, no, no. I meant, I meant like, it's like, we love each other so much. Oh, we're going to renew our vows. Yeah. That, is that, that cheesy or is that romantic? I, I think it's probably just, especially... Is it overkill? We're, we're, we're talking about millennials. Like, w- weddings amongst even most millennials feel like overkill. It's like, wow, it's really impressive. You, like, saved up to put together this this lavish expression of <laughs> of, of your love, you know? Yeah. In a cis, you know, and weddings always feel kind of like a like a scam. Like, it's just, oh, well, these are wedding flowers, so they're $300. Oh, I know. Wedding band, seven grand. Ah, but you know, band, four hundred dollars. Four hundred dollars, and uh, and no no tips allowed. We didn't uh, we didn't hire a band because I wasn't gonna fall into that system. I mean, you can hire me to play your wedding, but I, I'm not gonna hire you to play mine. Right. We we actually we had a jam. We just had an open jam. There were oh, so cool. many musicians there. It was way cooler, and uh, yeah, that's 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 the way to do it. I so I'm from Toronto uh, or was for a long time. So I would often play these kind of improv comedy, not well, improv comedy shows, but also just improv music shows. And those were really abstract where, and at university where, um, you know, you sit in, sit in the audience and like people would just walk up from the audience and then sometimes people would join them and then they would just make up some oftentimes bizarre atonal thing together, all kinds of different instruments and combinations and, um, you know, someone could just have their phone go ding, and that would be their contribution to the piece, you know? It could be anything. And, uh, but, yeah, so I love that that energy. And uh, I had a few experiences like that where, well, one where I went up, no one else went up with me, but I had my acoustic guitar, and I just started making something up. And people started laughing about 40 seconds in, and so it kind of became this elaborate, almost 10-minute piece of me um, just going totally stream of consciousness through my brain, you know, like flipping channels on a TV where, you know, we were talking about Buddy Holly earlier. I'd like sing part of a Buddy Holly song and then that would make me think of Holly over the mistletoe and then I'd make up something about that and then somehow the the couple get uh, under the mistletoe, they they kiss the wrong person and it gets awkward and then, you know, you just say, awkward! And then you, you think of and then you play something awkwardly and then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you, and you run off of that. Yeah. You run with it. And then when, whenever I think, try to think of something random in my mind, it's not random. The word Garfield comes into my mind every time I think random. <laughs> why? why? <laughs> I don't know. Just random Garfield. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, that is, so random is Garfield for you. I and mean, that's <laughs> yes. the word. Yes. And is it the, is it the, is it actually like the particular cat or just the, the yeah, word? Yeah. The particular cat. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. great. I, 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 if Garfield is an actual place, then I really want to visit it. 
Garfield, Missouri. Oh my God! Okay. No, I made that up. I don't okay, care. that's not that's not a thing. Well, so but so you 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 do incorporate comedy and improv into your music, and uh, that could partially well that could mostly explain why you're you're sitting in my room right now because you're uh, you're a Canadian mm-hmm. and um, and we're in Colorado mm-hmm. and you're here but you're not out you're not out here on a tour which. We saw each other in the midst of tour runs back in May yep. uh, in, in Kansas City. But um, you're out here for South Park. Hell yeah. So tell... Fuck yeah. Yeah. When I'm surprised... Fuck yeah! I'm surprised you, uh, you didn't, like, try to rent a car and drive to South Park, the town of nothing, and just say that you did it. Right. Well, I... Um, believe it or not, I don't have a license. That's part of being in, in Toronto for 14 years. Is, is there's no incentive to get a get a license, and now I'm trying to get one, uh, and but it's really backed up because of COVID. Uh, and I and to be fair, I I tried to get my license before going to Toronto, and and it didn't quite pan out. Um, you weren't old enough yet. Oh, I, I was old enough, but I uh, I think I was like two points shy of getting it. I I didn't have time to retake it before going to university. Yeah. But, yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I'm I'm here because, you know, I'm always just obsessed with true originals and, you know, in the darker moments of my life, uh, you know, high school being a, a a sore thumb especially, I you know, I, I always found comfort in the South Park guys because I just thought like, you know, they're total crazy, authentic originals who went in through the back door of Hollywood and, you know, made this weird little empire you know completely on their own terms and i i just i love that you know and you know i really enjoy the show and i I find it uh hilarious and all this but i you know there's times where i'm not as ecstatic about it but i'm always it's it's like checking in with old friends it's and it's like really i'm thinking about like trey parker behind the scenes making it and just being like ah okay so this is like it's like me trying to understand his life more through the art that he makes yeah you know yeah um and you know and that, and like I'm, I'm the easiest to please when it comes to uh, entertainment. A lot of times, as long as it's authentic. If 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 there's if it's over processed and there's something full of shite about it, and it and it could be something really subtle. It could be just I can tell that note was, you know, tuned a little too much, or you know I can hear that edit there, or this just feels a little antiseptic or whatever it is. Yeah. Then I'm instantly turned off. And what's weird is really our brains are, are tricked into instantly being like, okay, this has to be immaculate, and then I'll pay attention. But I stop paying attention as soon as it's immaculate. But if I can hang on for 30 seconds uh, through the dirt and grime of everything, then... Well, but where, is there a line in the sand for you somewhere? I mean, there's there's super lo-fi and there's immaculate. Is there a, is there a line or is there a boundary on either end? Um, well, here's the thing is super immaculate can be incredible. It can be, you know, Steely Dan, you know, it, it just depends on, I've, I've tried to f- always think of ways to put this into words without sounding like a, like a boomer prude or something like that. But yeah. it, it's, it's just knowing that something is, uh, genuinely inspired and authentic and, and there's, and there's stuff from any decade that can feel 
phoned in or like, well, they hadn't had to do another album for their contract. So this is what they, you know, like the, the Eagles after they're like feuding with each other and they managed to put out in the long run at the end, you know, yeah. it's like you can tell that people are burned out and the, the inspiration isn't there. And, you know, um, just like their zombified selves just from muscle memory are still able to make something pretty good. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but, sure. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not quite the same. Anyway, it, all, all to say, um, yeah, it's just about something feeling genuinely inspired, and, and that can be a, a totally crystalline pop song. Um, as long as whatever that song is is best served by that approach, you know? Yeah. And, I, and it helps if, if I feel like a song is also trying to, like, you know, expand people's horizons a little bit, you know, whether yeah. it's... Um, using a hijaz scale in a Dua Lipa song or something like that. As long as you're, like, trying to show the kids something new, you know? And it's, it's like cultural amnesia. It's like every 10 years everything resets, and, and you see on TikTok people, like, saying the same, like, did you know this about Paul Simon? Did you know this about da-da-da? And, yeah, I saw the did you know video about this from 10 years ago on YouTube. Yeah. You know? It, there's, there's this cultural amnesia, and, and then it's, like, as musicians, it's it's also like we're 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 taking old ideas and we're finding fresh ways to package them so that we can uh, trick the the young ones into hopefully discovering the 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 other you know to, for it to be a gateway into other brilliant stuff. Yeah. It, so now, when you talk about people that are authentic, people that you love, and you kind of light up when you talk about uh, Trey Parker, when people are authentic like that, I mean, do you feel like you know them? Yeah. I mean, in a in a, I mean, he, you guys haven't met, right? No. But it it, it is like on my bucket list of people I I need to meet. You know, there's Randy Newman, there's there's Trey yeah. Parker, there's Jim Carrey. Um, so if you could ask, you have to ask the same question to all three of these guys. I do? You have to ask. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you that right now okay. on, just for the sake of you're on my podcast. Yes, sir. <laughs> if, if you you had to ask them, you're going to have coffee with each one of them and you, you got to ask them all one question and it's the same question. What is it? Oh, oh, damn. That's a rough question. I, I wish I wish that you were telling me what to ask them. Uh, hmm. <laughs> we could come mm. up with suggestions, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, just like. I mean, what is it? I guess my question. I, I think the thing is, a lot of times it's specific stories that always drive me nuts that interviewers don't ask them. You know? Like, you know, why did Randy Newman decide to just completely uh, bury certain songs in his catalog? You know, even if they were pretty successful. Yeah. You know? Uh, like, there's this song called The Blues, a duet he did with Paul Simon that was like a top 40 hit. And he just thought it was like mean spirited and just never did it kind of. And same thing with like old man, which is like one of the ultimate tearjerker songs in history. Just if he plays that live, just the, the energy goes out of the crowd. So he never does it. Right. And, and it just kind of dies. Um, so I, that one kind of makes sense to me, but I don't know. I, I, I just love to also hear from them, like what songs they're proudest of or what pieces of work they're most proud of. That's maybe a good, a good question to ask. Yeah. You know? And and it and it that's a good entry point, good rabbit hole, and then I can tell them little details I know about it, so that they know that I'm, you know, obsessed. Yeah. Like there's yeah. there's a story of Dana Carvey hanging out with with Paul McCartney, and and uh, he was like talking about like 
some of like the post wing stuff with him. And it's like, you do that with Paul McCartney, he's going to instantly want to talk to you more, you know, right, he, right. you know, he's, he's dying to, you know, talk about and be acknowledged for the things that people don't take the time to. For. Yeah. And, and, and do you know, he just brilliant. put out his best album in 2018, 2019. Egypt Station? Egypt Station. I love that That's album. That's a fucking good album. Yeah. Yeah. Top to bottom. I well, mean, here, here, the only thing about Egypt Station that I'll say is for you feels really out of place. It doesn't belong on the album. Yeah. But also, I applaud him for putting it there. I mean, I know that that one maybe falls outside of your authenticity. Yeah. Rule, well, it, but and pa Paul has, a, has an interesting trend of trying to... Uh, catch up with the style of the time and sometimes failing in fascinating and hilarious ways. Yeah. In in the mid-80s, he had this song, uh, Press, which is just, like, you know, atrocious, atrociously synthesized. Yeah. And, like, by, by a, like, the mid to late 80s, like, whatever rock was becoming, where, like, the drums were so synthesized and everything was so right. cold. Right, And, like... You know, everything sounded like everybody Wang Chung tonight. You yeah, know, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. era. So, yeah. There, but that... I, I think on that song, he said, you know what? I'm going to try. I'm old. Yeah. And I'm going to try to put out a song that appeals to young people. Yeah. And I think he accomplished that. Uh, and it was produced by uh, Brian Tedder. Yeah. The One Republic guy who's who's from Colorado originally, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, he worked with three producers, I think, on that, and and, yeah. and Ryan did like four or five of them, and yeah, no, no, I, 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 I would rather Paul take chances than not. Yes. You know? Don't get me wrong, and and a lot of times he's made taken some incredible chances, and it the problem is you've got the burden of having, you know. It's like no matter whatever brilliant things even like The Simpsons might do now, everyone's always going to be like, oh, first 10 seasons. So the uh, same thing with Paul is it doesn't matter what he does. Um, and, and he cops to this. He would love to play so many other uh, songs of his from throughout his life during his shows. But, you know, the he sees all the phone lights go off in the stadium if he starts to try them, you know? And I I remember when he was doing temporary secretary during his when I saw him on tour. Yeah. And he almost like apologized for it before he, before it started. He was just like, it's gonna be over soon, everyone. Here we go. <laughs> two, gonna, yeah, three, this know? is my new material. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well that that's like from McCartney too. So that was like him trying to put in some some some, some deep yeah. cut for the fans. Yeah. I yeah. I feel like his his best solo stuff that no one knows about. I could go on forever. I, I'm sorry. Well, I think it, I think it's interesting that you see art. Or you see a lot of things, but if we're honing in on art, will sacrifice authenticity for for money or for I mean, sacrifice authenticity for popularity. Yet at the end of the day, I think most people naturally gravitate um, towards authenticity. I was I was just uh, looking up this lyric. Because um, we were talking about some of these artists like Randy Newman, yeah, and on his album after a good old good sail away, I think was right after Good Old Boys. Uh, I was before. Oh, it was right before. Yeah. Okay. So, on the title track, he's got the uh, everybody is as happy as a man can be. Climb aboard, little wog, sail yeah. away with me. And wog is a is a very you know it's a derogatory term. Yeah. Well, that whole song is 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 about tricking Africans to you know, essentially be slaves in America. Right. Yeah. It, but later that same year, 
another artist who I'm blanking on right now. I'll have to look it up. Another artist covered the song. Yeah, I think Joe Joe Cocker might have done was it. Was it Joe Cocker? Yeah. I think okay. Well he did it at some point, but I think someone else covered it the same exact year it okay. came out and changed that word. Little one, maybe? Everybody is as happy as a man can be. Climb aboard, little one. Sail away from me. Or sail away with me. Number one hit for yeah. this other artist. And it's kind of messed up. Yeah. How much that one word but tries to But you're still change. mentioning the watermelon and the buckwheat cake and all these other things. And like, uh, uh, you know, living in the trees and all this. Well, people aren't going to read between the lines. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of, I don't know. I just thought that was extremely and, and, interesting. And little wog, because you... Assume it's going to be one. Even when you hear it, you it kind of sounds like it when yeah, he sings it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and and of course you know about you can leave your hat on. Basically, Tom Jones just had to pick up the tempo a little bit, and then that caught on. You know. Um, so or, and uh, Mama told me not to come. Three Dog Night did that, um, and just again made it a bit more energetic. Mama told me not to come. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? So. Uh, and, and Randy's always like, oh, damn, if I had just done it a little faster, oh, well. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, he's, he's incredible. And, yeah, I don't, I'm not quite sure what we're saying anymore. I, I, except to say, yeah, sometimes it's a subtle thing that can make all the difference. And, and I think it, I've been wondering, I've been, I've been, uh, putting aside idealism a little bit more. And just really asking myself honestly, do I think sometimes in life the ends justify the means? Mm. You know? Like, if if I do write a... If I have a writing credit on some song that I'm not really proud of, but it's, you know, a, a major artist is singing it and it opens up doors for me, am I okay with that? And I think, yeah. I think I am. Yeah, why wouldn't you, know? you be? Um, and, but also, oftentimes how you get in those positions is through just, you know... Every every great songwriter, and I've got to write with a bunch of hit songwriters lately. It's it's always trying to think first and foremost, like what's going on in, in our lives, what are we really passionate about, and you know what's a way that we can tell that really cleanly and impactfully in a song. Yeah, you know, like yeah. it it is you're approaching it from honesty, and I have had co-writes as well where we're like, yeah, we're gonna write some stupid hit for those stupid kids, and that and then it always ends up sounding a little condescending even if there's some good ideas in it <laughs> you know yeah 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 well no i've i've been in those in those two where they say i don't want to start this song until we know like what artist we're pitching it to mm. and i don't you know, yeah is what it is but well, yeah it, i i and and i thought for a while that that should be how it's approached but i don't know i i think it is cleaner to just think first and foremost like what is a song we really want to write or if you are writing for a specific artists it's knowing what's really going on in their life and what's really going on in your lives and how that, that can connect and maybe what you're creating can, can be a bridge. And if, and if they don't gravitate to it, it's not dead in the water that way. It's still something that really yeah. speaks to you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe it'll speak to someone else. Sure. So l- jumping into uh, another topic here that I know we wanted, yeah. wanted to cover, um, you ran a studio or had a studio in Toronto for a lot of years and that sort of recently ended and I think that's been kind of a bummer, right? Yeah, uh, to put it to put it lightly. Uh, I, I've, I've been uh, up and down about that but and, and I've been avoiding telling you the story so that you can just be... Yeah, I want to be... Sh- I'm expecting to be shocked. Okay, well... This better be good. Oh, shoot. Well, uh, essentially, uh, so 
in Toronto. I lived there for, for many years. Uh, partway through my time in Toronto, uh, my buddy and I, uh, Bryn, we found this uh, amazing place for us to rent out. We were in a music duo together. We were always collaborating. And it had this incredible detached garage that we turned into initially just like a rehearsal space. But we realized, let's really go for broke and make an incredible recording studio here. So I was like acting on a, a sitcom and, and all this stuff. And I, I'm giving the long version of the story when I'm trying to give the short version of the story. So, okay, here's No, the... you're good. You're good. Let oh. us have it. All right. All right. So, uh, so I was working on a sitcom and like applying for, for loans in between takes and stuff. And, uh, you know, we got all this, uh, small business loan money. We, uh, put our life savings into it and we made this incredible recording studio. Um, you know, it was essentially like, even though it was a detached garage, you walk in and you're like, what the hell? You know, there were seven different rooms and, uh, everything was, uh, soundproofed immaculately. It looked incredible you felt so inspired just being in there. It was like a cottage in the city uh, that was, you know, routed for 24-track recording. And so we ran that for about six years. All kinds of amazing things happened in there. The first person to record in there was Kiefer Sutherland, oddly enough. Wow. Um, I made my debut album largely in there with Eddie Kramer, who's Jimi Hendrix's engineer. Uh, and, like, a couple Beatles songs and all kinds of things. So, you know, he, like, missed a call from Brian May one time on the couch in there, you know. So just uh, it attracted some really interesting things and, and all kinds of emerging artists. It was really important for Toronto because um, as an emerging artist, you know, you often feel like you're forced to just make stuff in a bedroom and, you know, use virtual drums. And, and it, it forces your creative process in a very particular way when you don't have access to recording a live band live off the floor and doing that really well. Um, and they could only do that with grant money to afford the larger studios. But we had all that same capability while being so much more affordable than the other spaces. So essentially what happened was we ran for about six years. Our landlord at a certain point, our intention was always to buy the home and, and the detached garage behind it. The landlord said, hey, uh, we've got to sell. Um, and so Bryn and I were in this frantic journey for, for a long time trying to... Who's, who's Bryn? Bryn's my uh, business partner for the studio. Okay, okay. Uh, in this frantic journey to, you know... <clears throat> sorry. Uh, we were in this frantic journey to, you know, find investors to join with us so that we could essentially save this recording studio together and still have everyone benefit from real estate. But this was also at the peak of the horrible housing crisis in Toronto. So um, buildings were selling for double what they should, literally. So this place was maybe in a, in a reasonable world worth 700000 And, you know, the landlords were asking $1.45 million. Um, so I set my entire life aside for months and months and months, worked 10 times harder than everyone else, you know, than the landlords, than... Uh, the realtors than everyone and uh, showed it to more people than them as well. And they were needle in a haystack people, you know, people who were in the arts uh, and wanted a studio and, you know, somehow still would qualify for a mortgage, you know, dozens and dozens of, of these types of people and trying to, trying to, you know, broker a deal and make things really make sense. And uh, we ended up placing one massive offer and then the really shady realtors uh, essentially blocked it. 
on grounds that I find very suspicious. And Bryn and I felt uh, threatened by it and were just shocked and gutted and crying and, um, you know, and yeah, it became clear to us afterwards that it was a, a totally shady smokescreen, um, at least from the people that we spoke to. And well, why, why would they block it? Um, so that, you know, it could go for more in a few weeks and they could get a higher commission. You know, stuff like that. But you did find the money to pay what they were asking initially. Well, yeah, no, we, we found investors to join with us and, and we were placing a really compelling offer. They, they felt like it was a conflict of interest because we hadn't signed what's called the cash for keys. Like we were renting there. So we kind of had extra leverage in a way. But, you know, we weren't, we weren't doing anything like that. We were just like, hey, here's an offer. You know, there, there, there was nothing devious about what we we're doing. And, I, you know, I think it's, it's ridiculous to come to that assertion and it it's within their rights as like maybe they were just trying to be really good people and and defend their their client but i highly doubt it and um you know i'm not sure how much i can really say about that because then we're in weird legal waters and i don't want to get sued for slander and stuff were you on good terms with your landlords oh with the landlords yes yeah um you know and we paid off half their mortgage we always paid things on time we were very good um so then after after that initial offer, there were still a few weeks there because, you know, essentially, um, you know, the place hadn't sold. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't selling. And I think in large part because of how successful our efforts had been trying to find someone who would, you know, save the studio. Because otherwise, really, they they were just like, whoever's going to make the best offer, you know. And nine times or 99 times out of 100, that's going to be someone who just wants a garage. And we'll be like, oh, just take all this out of here. But it's not that simple. You know, there's a hundred thousand dollars worth of construction that was done that we can't take with us. You know, um, you can gut out and, and, and gutting out, uh, all of that patch cabling and everything from the walls. That's oftentimes a very expensive time consuming job, you know? Um, so anyway, all to say that we managed to put together another offer with different people so that, you know, the landlords or the realtors wouldn't feel threatened by who we had brought on board. And then um, everything was all ready to go. I, th I think the, th the truth is, is that these realtors were, I'm really confused about if they're good guys or bad guys or just, you know, ambivalent bounty hunters almost, you know? Mm. Um, cause you know, he would do things like he would send me a text, like just a reminder that, you know, anyone can place a bully offer at any time. You know, it's like as much as the law would allow, I feel like he was trying to do little things to help me. And, and he was, you know, they were lawyers and realtors. So they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, I took that as a sign of like, okay, there's going to be a bully offer tonight. Um, and you know, and I managed to finally like three hours before solidify everyone, but you know, I just, I couldn't get them to sign the, the dotted line. They were like, Oh, I mean, come on. There was a, there was an open house that day and like no one came like, come on, you're fine, kid. Don't worry about it. We'll sign the papers tomorrow morning. Meanwhile, a bully offer does come in that night and, um, I have to frantically, uh, work to 
you know, write a letter and call the landlord to get a sense of what it's going for and all this stuff. And our main investor is asleep because what you do is you place a bully offer really late at night. And it's essentially a way of saying, hey, here's, you know, $1.42 million, uh, but you have three hours to decide, you know, or I'm taking the offer off the table. So it, that's usually what people do if to buy houses. And it, uh, it perpetuates a cycle of the rich getting richer because as long as you've got sure. a, an obscene amount in your bank account, you can just keep on acquiring houses for the most part. Um, and, and the people who placed this bully offer, by the way, were the only people who came in for like two minutes and refused to see the studio, you know? Um, and, and so it makes me really think that they were just like potentially money launderers. Like it's bizarre to me that you come in for like, <laughs> you know, three minutes to see a place and I'm like, yeah, okay. And, and, and then you go from there. Yeah. Um, or, or you're just so rich, you don't care about anything. Um, not to say that wealth and <laughs> caring are sure, totally sure. opposite. Um, anyway, so this bully offer comes in. So we, we still place an offer and, and we do it in such a way where we even sacrifice our, our cash for keys. Like we'll be like, Hey, you take this offer. You don't have to pay us anything to vacate the premises, nothing, you yeah. know? And so all that considered, we were able to inch our offer almost to 1.45. So a bit higher than them. Sure. And, but still just with this condition of like, give us till tomorrow, here's audio proof of this guy saying that he's committed to investing in this with us. This is what I have, <laughs> but I don't have the signature. The signature's coming tomorrow. You know that they're doing this dirty bully offer thing on purpose. Don't enable people who do crap like this and destroy an entire artistic community in the process. You know, have, have an ounce of faith. And I was crying with my landlord on the phone, begging her, and she still didn't go with it. And there could be a lot of reasons for that, you know, in, in the heat of the moment, <laughs> I was obviously very salty and very bitter, and, and I, I still am to a certain degree. But, you know, I don't know if, like, she's tied in with the mob and just had to accept it. I don't, I don't know. Sure. So um, there's all kinds of dark, screwed-up things. But so essentially I had two months after finding that out to, for us to tear out the studio but also make the most of it while we had it. Yeah. So, um after months and months of exhaustively 18 hours a day, setting my entire life aside, perpetually being on the phone to find these investors. To save the place. And then have it all fall apart, I had to instantly just start making music. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I essentially did all these live albums, uh, sometimes just live streams on my own, sometimes live streams uh, with a piano player, um, and filmed really nicely, where uh, I, and I wouldn't repeat myself, so I would do like, a concert or two with him where it'd be the same set twice in the same night, and that was it. And so through that method, I ended up recording like 100 original songs that, you know, I just felt like they wouldn't be recorded otherwise. Yeah. They wouldn't be recorded well. Um, and then I also managed to do all these rehearsals and bed track about 30 other songs <laughs> yeah. with a full band. Sure. So I, you know, I, I fucked the hell out of that studio <laughs> while I still could. And, yeah. but, but then it was literally like us just having to shoot Lassie or skin Lassie alive, like just stuff that's so vile and heartbreaking. And, um, you know, for a super long time, I couldn't like think about it without crying. And, uh, you know, and it, and it, you know, it disrupted my whole life. It, 
forced me to move away from all my friends because in that situation, I was able to afford living in Toronto and really prioritize my music career. You know, when you have uh, a business that's somewhat passive income, you know, where people are are using that as well. Um, Otherwise, it's like I have to move back in with my parents. I'm 31, moving back in with my parents in Peterborough. And um, just to make sense of all of these live albums I've, <laughs> I now have and, and, and everything. And, um, yeah, no, I, w- I was done really, really dirty. And uh, it's given me a lot to think about. Sometimes I just think, you know, capitalism itself is absolutely broken. You know, there's always like a tenuous balance between arts and commerce, but it really feels like something is flipped, you know. Um, and at the same time, I also... I do like to think that everything happens for a reason and um, it really had me realize how freaking powerful I can be. Like the fact that at, it, at after a pandemic, you know, or really still in the midst of one, I managed to convince people at the worst time to buy, to work with me to save uh, an incredible recording studio space, you know, uh, I think says a lot. Like all the odds were stacked against me. I was not supposed to be allowed to win the way that our system is designed. And yet I still got, you know, I got to the point where I placed an offer that at that point, it's really just on uh, the landlord's own conscience that she didn't choose it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that's, I, you've, it's, I'm sure you've spent hours and hours contemplating why didn't the, you know, the landlord, yeah, I mean, I've also been just in a, a state of rage, you know, there's like all the stages of grief, you know, so yeah. there's... It meant a lot to you. Well, yeah, and it meant a lot to a lot of people. I mean, what what was the culture around the studio? I mean, it sounds like you were kind of in the center of this art culture where a lot of cool things were going on. I mean, what, yeah. what was it like over there? I mean, were people just hanging out during the day when sessions weren't going on? I mean, like, what, what was what was the studio like? Well, uh, well, I mean, obviously during the pandemic, it was it was a lot harder. But, sure. um, you know, there, there was always a sense of community. I ran all these, like, voice acting workshops uh, with people. Um, we would have uh, parties, usually, like, once a month, community jams. Um, people would book it out quite regularly for all kinds of different projects and it but also you know Bryn and I tried to prioritize it as our own studio so you know we did a ton of stuff in there you know I I went absolutely OCD making my debut album and that would not have been possible without that space and it was a a supreme education getting to work with Eddie Kramer in there and to you know (laughs) kind of like overthink an album into oblivion from every conceivable angle you know and all this stuff. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I spent probably like 60 grand more than necessary on that album. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, anyway, so all, all to say like, and, and it was an incredible writing environment. When you see photos of it, it hurts you even harder. Like, wow. Yeah, I'd love to see photos of yeah. it. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, now that this experience is somewhat behind you, I know you're still in the midst of all this and the grief from it, but now that you're you've been forced to move on do you ever see yourself doing something like that again uh centering a, com- a community in a recording studio well here's the thing is you know there were times where even in the midst of it we were like we really wanted to prioritize our solo careers and um we didn't 
sometimes we didn't intend it to become such a business, you know? Um, so I'm, I don't think I would run a recording studio again, but I love what it became. I really do. And, um, and I'm really proud of what it became and what it got to mean to so many people. So one thing that has a strong possibility of happening that I've been able to broker is I have, I have a deal with a venue in Toronto called Hughes Room where, um, they're, they're a legendary venue, like, uh, who's played there, like Pete Seeger and, um, Lightfoot and, um, they're trying to acquire this church. And if they can do that, they've agreed to acquire our studio off of us and we'll help them build it back way better in this, in this church in Toronto. Um, so that's kind of a beautiful... And when you say by the studio off you, you're talking about all the gear that... that well, we were able to gut out a lot. And, and uh, to Bryn's credit, he, he kind of lost his mind uh, after, especially after the, the stuff with the, those, those realtors, you know, because that was scary shit. Um, but he, uh, he had to just kind of step away for his own sanity and, you know, and, and he didn't see a way that this could work out where it would be to our benefit, you know. Um, and, and so I was kind of left on my own, f- stranded for the last few weeks, having to, like, replace all these people and feeling like my life was going to be over if this didn't pan out. Right. You know? Um, so hyperventilating and screaming and, and crying, uh, just, like, any time I had a moment to myself in the studio. But most of the time I was just frantically emailing and, and yeah. calling. And, um, so anyway, but at the end, he, he went through similar hell, just uh, having to work really hard at tearing the whole place apart. So... That includes, you know, like he made a hundred acoustic panels by hand for that space. So we had to take all those down, uh, pull out all the cabling from the walls. Um, we tore out the floors, uh, the trim, um, the glass, the double doors. Um, we, and we took, we did just countless trips to basically put it at my parents' place in Peterborough. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cause I mean, it would cost us like a thousand dollars or $2,000 a month in storage just to keep it all in, in one place otherwise. But you had room. You had room to put it... Uh, yeah, my parents really... are out in the country. and But, you know, we still have to be very careful about it. And, you know, I, I have to, you know, check on it regularly. Like some of it's in a barn, you know. You got you, you to gotta do things in a very careful what's way. The, what's the address? No. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, yeah. So, no, yeah. It's, you don't want to leave it sitting there forever. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And so I've worked very hard with Hughes Room so that they can bridge the gap that they need to buy this building. And, and really, they, they've made multiple... Uh, offers on it that are, are very compelling. Um, and, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really holding out for that, but also for my own sanity, I have a, a bit of a barrier, you know, like yeah. even when I spent like a really intense week finding them investors that joined with them, uh, at a time sensitive time, like that was like reliving all that trauma again. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so I just, you know, I've gone through all kinds of spaces. It's really tempting to just see the the landlords and the realtors as absolute sociopaths who have no right to ever enjoy music or art ever again as long as they live yeah um and no one could blame you for that though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah it's it's complicated i i but also if you go through that and then you've got to keep making music in a in a world that you think is so fundamentally broken that it stole everything from you i kind of you know makes you not do anything (laughs) yeah you know so uh it really comes down to um trying to really ask the universe what are you trying to tell me through having this happen to me yeah you know 
and 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 what what value can I bring to the world through whatever discoveries there are from this, you know? And at the same time, I really do hope that, you know, the landlord does the right thing and, you know, pays us what we're due, you know? Like, she made an, a, an absurd return on investment, and I'm sure she doesn't need all that. Yeah. Like, just do the right thing, um, you know, help preserve and protect and rebuild the community you destroyed. Yeah. You know, simple as that. Yeah. So that's what I hope happens. And um, so, yeah, I, I've got all these live albums I'm making sense of, and and I think I'll be able to tell some of the story that way. And, um, yeah, it seems like we're in an age of, like, quantity and quality. And so <laughs> yeah, being able to bridge that gap all. with, like, an insane live album collection is a really interesting thing to do and but yeah there, there's certainly stuff from it that i probably won't release <laughs> sure. either me like you know just like cursing at top volume into a microphone or uh you know actually maybe i kind of have to but the very last thing i ever recorded in there was like because it's me desperately just trying to absorb every second of it it's like it's it's literally like your mom is about to die and you just want to be there every second so i just was like at the microphone at like 4 30 in the morning you know the day that teardown was really going to get to such a point that it would be unusable yeah and and i'm just like playing for like 12 minutes straight just like two chords and just like saying things and yeah. just saying like thank you thank you thank you over and over again and <laughs> That'll have to get released. Uh, I guess so. Well, this sound, uh, you know, the the journalist in me feels like this is an incomplete story. Yeah, that that'll need. And, and and by the way, we also reached out to a lot of press. Uh, we had a major news organization come interview us in the space. Yeah. Uh, and then they just like suspiciously, the higher ups at the network were like, "No, we're not going to air that story." And then just nothing happened with it. But we took precious time out of our yeah. last moments with our bloody space to tell our story and they just didn't bother well this i, I mean this is something I, th I think probably needs a follow-up we're going to see each other on the road yeah in 2023 or 2024 and in someone's hotel well, and, and if you're at kerrville this year i'll see you there yeah i in october yeah i don't think i'm going to oh, that okay. no unfortunately. well but honestly i i i think i'm I'm trying to get a visa that's going to last me like a year, so there could be more opportunities, but bef even before yeah. next year. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll get we'll get together and as you know, as this, I don't know, I don't know what the final resolution is or if there's a final resolution, but well, at least at least it's kind of like if if uh, if the Houston thing doesn't work out by the end of this year, we might just like sell it all off for parts and just sure. like let the vultures pick at it. Yeah. You know. Well, it's my my point is it's a story that uh, you know is interesting and be curious to know where it's at yeah. in, in a year or two. You know if we can get back together, and I I know a lot of these interviews uh, just go until they end, and um, we, we are time sensitive today. Yeah. So so we got to wrap up. But as something else to follow up on next time we talk briefly, I mean where. Where do you see yourself? I mean, this might be a loaded, long question, but where do you see yourself headed as an artist? I mean, kind of, what are your hopes and dreams in that realm, in a, in a broad perspective? In a, in a, in a broad perspective? Um, well, I definitely want to have my name on some hit songs. So whether that's me performing them or perform, 
for other people, but not just that. Like, I want them to be ones that I can be deeply proud of and I feel like contribute something to the world. Um, and and really, it, it's a lot of a lot of it right now is really simplifying my life and and just uh, making stuff that excites me. Um, and the thing is, I I have so many curiosities and so many you know, skills and interests, like, I would love to be like a Trey Parker, someone who's just got their hands in everything in, yeah. in, in a big project. So, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of just seeing where the wind takes me right now and, and, and healing and doing what I know immediately needs doing, which is finishing this music that I made in the studio. So that's, that's the short of it. But I always do have like a five-year plan and I'm kind of always, I'm working my way back. I'm, I try to, I try to really plan things out, but yeah. also sometimes through that, the ego can take over and you just think being productive means that you're, you know, being great, but, or, or doing great. But, um, also I've like completed, I've completed monstrous tasks and afterward I'm like, why did I even do that? You know, so I'm trying to be really, give myself some space to really, um, grapple with the things that speak to me the most and really prioritizing those. Yeah, especially after a pandemic and after, you know, realizing that anything can be taken from you by rich bastards whenever the hell they want. <laughs> it's kind of like, OK, what do I really want? And, and what's a way that I can, you know, live honestly? And, um, you know, it kind of is that horrible thing they're saying, which is you won't own anything, but you'll be happy. <laughs> that's yeah. that's what all the rich people are saying the future is. Uh, anyway. Well, we'll find out. Yeah, we will. We're gonna we're gonna live through it. But I mean, also, I I think we have a lot of say in it, and, and I think that living honestly does does really pay off. And I think some of the biggest contributors to the world as a whole have often done it in very um, subtle ways. Like, I, it's hard to find people who you think their the, their good hasn't been offset somehow. But like Mr. Rogers is an example to me mm. of like someone who just you know overall has contributed more to the world than than he ever took away and yeah. and that's because he, he and he lived a very kind of rigid life in order to achieve that but one that was fulfilling to him so it's like maybe i just need to look at it that same kind of way yeah yeah well thanks for chatting with me you're welcome and uh, thanks for having me yeah we'll touch base soon awesome thank you so much thank you bye bye everyone this is my real voice all right taylor abraham's nice guy and it's good to get back into it back into the routine Thank you, everyone, for uh, hanging out with me for 101 episodes and uh, and all of those to follow. I'm extremely grateful. If you liked what you're hearing and you want to help out in a non-monetary way, give this podcast a quick uh, five-star review or five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. It takes a few seconds. It's easy. It helps me out a lot. If you want to help out in a monetary way, um, I post up some uh, podcast stuff, some of my music, um, all kinds of stuff on my Patreon channel at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. That's all I've got. I hope you have a great week, and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.